Hi and welcome to the Courageous Mama this week. Lovely to have you back. I hope you've had a, a good fortnight in between. If you're new, this is the place where you will be encouraged, equipped and empowered in your parenting. For me, I'm at that stage where my kids are leaping all over the world and when they patch in for a chat, I notice the different background sounds that the phone amplifies. So in any one day, I can hear the lapping shores of surfers paradise in Australia, the bustling streets of Rio, or the familiar buzz and sliding doors of the London Underground. Though recently, I did get one of those phone calls that you dread from your children. Hi mum, we're fine, but we've been mugged and had our phones stolen. What he added later was that it had been at knife point. Unharmed, I'm pleased to say. But it does, however, explain the issue with my phone. I don't know if you remember last week's podcast where I said my laptop had gone down and my phone had gone down. And I said to my husband a couple of times, it's just so strange, isn't it, that both the boys lost their phones and mine went down in the same day. <laughs> this is a really obvious connection, Mads. However, it wasn't to me and it wasn't for about a week or so before my husband said, I've just worked out what's happened. <laughs> Apple have switched your phone off instead of Charlie's. So there you go, got my phone back. Now let's carry on our series on the Enneagram. Each month I cover a different character type and there are some key features that you'll have been hearing about that will help define where a person's motivation is coming from and why they behave the way they do, whether that's a good thing or maybe a difficult thing at times. Now, nobody's in a box, but we do all get into habits. They're often easier to spot in others than in ourselves. And the Enneagram is all about finding out what drives you and then making sure that you're using its healthy components. All motivations have their positive drives, their superpowers. And they also have their tipping points. These are the places where we can be difficult to be around, which is why it's harder to spot in ourselves because we don't have to be around ourselves. <laughs> so parenting our children with an understanding of the Enneagram gives us the compassion to see what their struggles are motivated by so that we can hone their superpowers. And today we're looking at the performer. The performer isn't a show person per se, but they are constantly conscious of other people's perceptions of them. So they do feel on show. Their motivation is always to appear successful to those around them. And they are otherwise known as the Enneagram Type 3. Do you have someone in your life who finds it hard to let others see their flaws? They're keen to project a winning image. They might not actively show off, but they do love their accomplishments to show well and will work hard at avoiding exposing areas where they're failing or where they're appearing to underachieve. Being and appearing efficient and productive and high achieving is key. They like to make a good impression at all times. And they often can, as they have great strengths. And those include the fact that they're hardworking, energetic, they've got a high capacity, they're driven, they're often very likeable, they're definitely dependable, 
and they can multitask like no other. They're charismatic, they're motivators and natural leaders. They're efficient and they're effective. What could possibly go wrong? In their exuberance to be the shining example of a total winner, they also have their shadow side, their tipping point. They're so motivated to be admired, they find it hard to believe that they would be lovable if their flaws and faults and failures were seen. So in their desire to showcase their very best and hide any inefficiencies, they can convince themselves of their flawlessness. As our American friends would say, they can drink their own Kool-Aid. And so their flaw becomes deceit. It's not that they're abject liars, it's more that there's some masking of authenticity if it's in any way attached to something less than brilliant. Admiration comes before authenticity if they're not careful. If your motivation is to be seen as fabulous, it can be very hard to be honest when things aren't fabulous. If you've been tracking these podcasts, you may think, well, isn't that similar to the type 1 and the type 8? And thus we need to get this far to really bed in the key factors of the Enneagram. And one of those is, what's the motivation behind the behaviour? Some things can look the same, but be very different. For example, somebody might buy you a drink because they want something from you. Or they might buy you a drink because they're generous or because it makes them feel good. And it all looks like a drink to everybody else, but very differently motivated. The type eight can certainly share some of the strengths of the type three, but they're not looking for admiration. They're avoiding being seen as weak. The Enneagram One can also have all of the above, but their benchmarks are not to do with the way that the world perceives them, so much as their own internal expectations, that inner critic. So do go back and compare, especially if you're finding the nuances of the Enneagram. So the performer, the type three, is a busy person. Do you know that expression, if you want to get a job done, give it to a busy person? Well, here's your busy person. They're a juggler. They meet the needs of everybody. They excel in their areas. They're the class monitor, the team captain, ticking boxes with seeming ease and quietly loving it when they're noticed for their achievements. Sound like your child? Sound like you? Sound like anyone you know? Well, if it does, that person won't be all of these. But if a high percentage correlates to the person you have in mind, they could well be a type three a performer. And we need this type of person. If your child has these characteristics, you may have noticed they don't need chivying along. They get the job done. They do their homework. They inspire others to do well. They strive to attain. They're well-dressed on time and enthusiastic. Andre Agassi, Taylor Swift, Tom Cruise are reported to be famous type threes on the Enneagram. They've got it all together. And if they're in healthy balance and not stressed, they're supportive, enthusiastic and interested in your goals and your dreams and they'll help you on your way as well. If they're unthreatened by you, they'll lead or support you well. You can depend on them and they're uplifting and energising to be around. 
But if the type three hasn't quite learned to use their strengths well, or if they haven't been guided by wise parents, they can also be hard work at times, can't we all? But for the three in their unhealthy places, they're competing with people around them who seem to be winners. They're impatient with people in their teams if they're not keeping a pace, whether that's family or sport or work. And they can be restless because their antenna is up for the opportunities to advance. And that could be rolling with the important people or it could be showcasing their best. I was in a team some years ago with someone who I think might have been an Enneagram type three. Early on in most conversations, you would learn how many air miles he'd clocked up that month or how many emails he'd got that day, that minute. And sometimes I felt talked at rather than with. I felt like I was another person to digest his amazingness and that I was being filled with data about his high achievements. And that's a classically unhealthy three who's either in stress mode or who hasn't been honed by a wise parent. And I dare say it was all true. He probably did get a million emails and a million air miles, but it was hard to feel a connection with him. Whilst he might have left the conversation feeling that I was clocking his high status, I was actually feeling sympathetic for what looked a little bit more like insecurity and need to be admired. The little success broadcasts were a block to authentic conversation. I felt I was meeting his curated profile rather than the real person. And whilst you can still really enjoy and admire a person like that, what you might struggle to do is to really connect with them. And that's what I mean when I say, when you don't know your own flaws and faults and failures, you might not know you're difficult to be around. And so it can be with the threes. As a parent, if I had a child with those wonderful strengths and hidden insecurities, I'd want to help them to know that they're not the product of their output so that I could engage their superpowers and soften their propensity to hide their true selves, including their imperfections, their underperformances. We all have them. And that's why we as parents can be so positively influential in knowing our children's strengths and their weaknesses. And when we understand their motivations through the lens of the Enneagram, we can also heal the mis-messages that they will have picked up in childhood, such as, you are what you do. Now, what parent would ever say that to a child? Well, no parent on purpose. But childhood is a place of hidden messages. Not everything is conveyed in a direct message. This isn't poor parenting. It's just childish interpretation of the data that they're constantly picking up, hearing, seeing and being in amongst. So, for example, I could say to you, well done, you're the best, you're incredible. I knew you had this in you. And you might hear, well done me, job well done glad she's pleased. Or you might hear, I need you to be a winner, keep upping your game. And you might think that in order to be valued, you need to keep achieving. And it may not even be the things that we say. Perhaps the vibe in our home is efficiency and effectiveness. Some homes move slowly, some move fast, and children pick up the way things should be 
by what we model? Are we shoehorning them into the day and commenting when they're not fast enough? These can be unintended messages about their expected output. Just cutting into our podcast this week to say I've been thoroughly enjoying my 15-minute chats with some of you, my listeners. It's a little perk of buying the book, Parenting for Life. And someone said to me recently, I dip into your book every day and our family is changing for the better. So thank you for that. It's lovely to hear. Connected parenting, boundaries without the drama. If that appeals to you, you can buy the book at a discounted price through my website. You can jump onto a 15-minute chat about your family and something that you'd like to change for the better in family life. Or you can book yourself some sessions that will change the trajectory of family life and leave your children with a legacy of peaceful, connected parenting. I had a friend at school who always cried on sports day. It was guaranteed. Either she won the hurdles race, but her time wasn't her personal best, or she won and it was her personal best, but she could have done better. And even back in the naivety of childhood, I sometimes had an inkling that the tears weren't just about personal disappointment, but they were a strong message to all of us that great as the win was, she was capable of greater. And her parents were lovely, great encouragers. I wonder what she was hearing. Children can pick up messages through positive affirmation as well as through challenging feedback. They can pick up messages through the wonderful celebration of all that they do well. They may have heard you optimistically tell them that they could do anything or be anything. You have endless belief in them. And that's well lauded to be the right message these days, isn't it? But how does it actually land? Carol Dweck became famous on TED Talks for sharing what messages we could be sending our children when we take their little drawing and proudly put it on our fridge with great fanfare. And I'm not saying stop celebrating your children, by the way, but don't go through parenthood without checking out A Talk or Two by Brené Brown or Carol Dweck on Growth Mindset. It will help you to see the delicacy of our messages of fabulous encouragement and how to frame them in such a way that our children don't get hindered by them. Now I'm an aspirer. I am the first to admit that I could easily have given those messages to my children. I remember one day I was going along the motorway and I had our eldest child and our only child at the time in the back of the car. I think he was about three and beginning to recognise letters and so on. And we passed a truck that had a big H on it, which is the initial of his name. For Henry, he says proudly. Well, can you imagine? Proud mother. I could see the road ahead of him. I could see it put him in an obvious academic percentile. Until he continued. And H for Happel and H for Horange. (laughs) No matter how wonderful a childhood you've had or you're giving your child, no matter how much you've celebrated them, childhood can be a muddly place. Until our children get the hang of the world, they only have the acts and influences and words of parents and teachers around them to form the matrix of life. And in different contexts, people can seem to send different messages. 
And a child who's likely an Enneagram 3 in the making is always trying to assess what makes them celebrated. This character type can tend towards competition to evaluate themselves, to see if they're worthy. They can look eagerly in other people's lanes to see how they're doing. But don't forget, we don't always know what lap the person in the next lane is doing. Unlike the Enneagram 1, the improver, who will look to see if they're doing it right, the Enneagram 3, the performer, will look to see if they're doing it better. So their superpower ends up being their high capacity ability to meet and exceed goals. And that superpower is born out of that childhood survival strategy of being impressive. And when I say survival, I'm not suggesting that your children were on death's door. I just mean that kind of emotional place of this is how I flourish, I perform, I exceed, I excel. And they will strive to be the very best they can be. And that's going to be a winning formula. But it does have a tipping point, And that could be that winning other people's approval is the only way to be loved and valued. So a significant piece of the Enneagram is to see where the growth and maturity needs to be addressed, particularly in our children and hopefully in ourselves too. So the job of us as parents is to see if there are some characteristics that we can help our children to harness for good so that their challenges, which have given them their superpower, are not used for defence or survival in social work or school settings, but for good, strong mental well-being and for healthy connection with others. So if you've got a child who has the tendency to need external approval, not necessarily everywhere, it could just be in one area, this could be a barrier to them being their authentic selves and it could stand in the way of their connection with others. But with the help of a parent, they can be a person who has that ability to shine. But also to know deep down in their knower that it's not this that makes them lovable and that they're equally loved in their imperfections so that they can learn to be seen, to be really seen past their achievements and their attainments and their accolades and just for their beautiful, imperfect selves. And bear in mind that there are also the stressed and secure ends of the spectrum. So an Enneagram 3, for example, who is chilled, won't ensure that their first presentation has to be a glowing achiever. Conversely, even a well-honed, healthy Enneagram 3 who's in stress mode can get overtly or subtly competitive. And that can be a clue that they might be a type 3. Sound like anyone you know? Know anyone who likes to one-up, list their achievements or what they've done that day? If you're recognising that you might have a performer among your children, let's look at five ways we can bring out the best in them. Well, first, we can celebrate their effectiveness and their competency and their ability. Of course, it's good to encourage them. But they might need more than that. So here we go. Number one, have healthy conversations about success. That's a great dinner time conversation. Ask them the question, what is success? What do you think success is? and help them to see that there are diverse answers for this. The world messages are not helpful at the moment. 
30 seconds on social media will reinforce the metric for success to be winning at money, at business, at sport, at likes. So think about what messages you're inadvertently and verbally obviously putting across. What have you linked success to? Maybe this is something you've given a lot of thought, but if it's not, check to see what answer you'd give, what messages you've been sending. The dictionary definition is, success is the accomplishment of any aim or purpose. What if that aim was to be a good neighbour, a kind friend, to empower others? Is that enough? Is that success in your household? You don't have to lead front and centre to be successful. So help them to define success for themselves, even when their definition might differ from yours. They don't have to run with what they've heard from their family, their peers or the media. They could evaluate that for themselves with your encouragement. Number two, help them to build a strong definition of themselves that isn't attached to their output. I remember a friend once telling me that when her mum used to come over and tuck up her grandchildren when she visited, she would say, I love you, not for what you've done today or not for what you've said, but just because you are you. Knowing that they're unconditionally loved just because they're ours is a reinforcing message because belonging to you is not something that they can earn or lose. Number three, create time and space for them to be comfortable with underachievement or even failure. And in order to do that, a really effective way of doing that is to affirm effort rather than results. And you can do this in everything. The tests that they do at school, their sporting events, you know, them just achieving something at home, laying a table. It's not about how it looks at the end. It's about the effort that they put into it. It's about them bringing themselves and their best being enough. They need to trust our unconditional love when they think they've failed or underperformed. And that could be sitting with them in what they perceive to be loss or failure. And not telling them that, no, it was amazing, it was fantastic, but actually, is that how it looked for you? Is that how it felt for you? I accept that. That's your genuine feeling around that. But also letting them know that you don't see them any differently when they were winning or when they were failing. You saw past all of that. You saw them. Learning to be in front of someone, not only when they're a shining success, but when someone else is, or even when they feel they're a bit of a flop, it will enforce the fact that they're lovable no matter what they do or don't achieve. Number four, hone their underdog. <laughs> they have an ability to encourage others, but they do get a bit insecure if others are better than them. Help them to support others at the cost of personal impression. To affirm others, to build up siblings, to celebrate other people's efforts. Number five, encourage passions that don't have a defined outcome. Paint, create, build, walk, run, cycle, swim for no particular end. Most things that they do at school are tested in one way or another. And actually, most things they do at home, we give an appraisal of, don't we, even if they've built some Lego. But doing things just because they're fun 
is a part of self-care. It's good for the soul. It's good for the individual. It builds them. And this can help them to learn to value themselves by taking the time to do the things that they love, not just the things that achieve or attain, and not doing things that have an evaluated outcome, and certainly not doing things that have a comparison. Performers, Enneagram 3s, can keep all of their superpowers whilst also learning to be vulnerable and letting others shine in the very place they wanted to. Life's a paradox. And remember that whilst I'm focusing on children, keep your antenna up for whether these characteristics are strong in yourself or people that you know, so that whilst you can help your kids, you can also be compassionate to yourself or to others with this fresh understanding. And don't try and tag your children with an Enneagram number when they're too young. I think just look out for characteristics, look out for motivations and find ways to counterbalance those with the ways that I've described on the various podcasts that I've done recently on the different motivational numbers. So we've done the eight, the one, the two and the three. I hope you have a great week and find ways to enjoy your children, challenge your growth and theirs, and have fun and build memories. I'll see you in a fortnight.